Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. We're here again, and joining me, Alan, as always, is Sol. Hello, Alan. Hello. We have a very special guest, Sol. Yeah, joining the two of us is uh, a really, really special guest this week. The one, the only, Ali Gertz. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Ali. I'm excited. It seems like a lot of fun. <laughs> but we'll see about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's I say that now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and this week we are covering the second film, I think, from Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. Rushmore. It is ama- amazingly, we're, we're nearly five years into doing this podcast and never done a Wes Anderson film. Or we've done five, seven Paul W.S. Anderson films. <laughs> 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 so, Ali, was it you who chose Rushmore for our little chat? Yes. It was suggested maybe that we would talk about the Simpsons movie, which I also think yes. is very fun. To those who don't know me, I have like a Simpsons podcast and write songs about the Simpsons. And I have a Simpsons book that I co-wrote with uh, my co-host, Julia. But sometimes you need a little break <laughs> from the yellow family we all love. <laughs> and Rushmore, it's one of my very favorite movies ever. I feel like it is similar to The Simpsons in that if someone says they love The Simpsons, you know, two through eight, and if someone says they love Rushmore, I feel immediately without fail, we're going to get along or at the very least have a very entertaining chat. <laughs> I, I That's a really um, good comparison that you've drawn there, actually, because, you know, the, the Simpsons is, we've spoken about it on this show practically in every episode. It always seems to come up. There's always a quote that matches something we're trying to talk about. But I think the Simpsons for certainly people roughly kind of our generation, it's something very formative and, and it means a lot more to people than it necessarily would if they were to just watch it now for the first time. Yeah. I'm watching Rushmore, which I actually did for the first time about a week before I think we decided we were going to do it on this uh, podcast, funnily enough. And so then I watched it again yesterday just to uh, refresh my memory. But it really struck me like, yeah, this is one of those films that if you see it at the right point in your life, it could just be this completely formative experience that sets in stone all sorts of things of your comedic sensibility and thoughts on life yeah i mean uh i'm really curious what it would feel like to someone who hadn't grown up with it uh so i'm sure we'll be getting into that but um just very briefly i saw it in theaters and i was seven years old and so for me um that's pretty early to watch a movie that's (laughs) you know not animated but even as a kid i just thought that max fisher was like the (laughs) coolest like bart simpson-y type of Mm. guy i just thought you know he's in even though he's in uh overachiever he's still a failed student and in a lot of ways has that bart type of like doesn't care about authority type of thing that i think Mm. is really appealing as a as a kid or as a teenager but every time i watch it i kind of go back to to that feeling of of youth that i wonder (laughs) what it's like as an adult to be watching it so i'm very curious I mean, obviously, I I knew, Ellie, that you were a Simpsons uh, nerd, dare I say. (laughs) (laughs) How uh, dare you? (laughs) And obviously, um, I get enough of that with Sol uh, every week, so (laughs) I'm having it in stereo this week. Uh, I was having a little bet with myself how long it would take for someone to bring up The Simpsons. Okay, so if I can just, uh, I'll take us back to Wes Anderson then. Uh, So... Mm. Rushmore, yes, was Wes Anderson's second film. So his first film, Bottle Rocket, was a bit more of an indie little thing. So this was his sophomore effort, I believe is, the term is, where a chance mm. to prove himself. And it's amazing how much of his that Wes Anderson style is there already. Oh, yeah. I do struggle a bit with Wes Anderson because I, 
and I and I want to make it clear that I do like his films. I don't think there's <laughs> any of his films that I dislike, but I I do think that he's very firmly in the territory of self-parody, certainly at the moment, and I think he knows he's doing it. I, I don't think it's even like necessarily a problem. But it was just weird going back to see Rushmore and all that style and the kind of the cliches of what he does was there. But it all kind of really worked for me here. Like I couldn't criticize it. And and I guess that's because it was it, it was so early on that it hadn't become this thing that he does in every film, you know, the ninety degree angles and the the framing and casting the same people again and again. You know, it was the first time he'd work with Bill Murray. In fact, this this really um, not relaunched Bill Murray's career, but kind of gave his career a new life um, doing like indie films, didn't it? I, I yeah. understand. Yeah. I mean, it, in some ways it was a little bit of a comeback from what I understood of it, um, just because you have Bill Murray, the comedian, and then you mm. get, you know, pre-Lost in Translation, like serious actor mm. man. <laughs> you get this guy who's willing to do the movie for, he, he like did it for scale. I imagine the amount of money he got to do, like, Garfield, for example, where he just had to turn up to a voice booth in his pyjamas was, you know, at least ten times what he got paid, probably more. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of having a bit of money in the bank, isn't it? You can pick and choose oh, yeah, your, yeah. your things, what you want to do for for your own pleasure. But yeah, this really, you know, it is like you say, it's remarkable. This really does just establish that Wes Anderson film. Like, it's all there. And, and I have seen Bottle Rocket, but I don't remember being struck by how, you know, it was just a Wes Anderson film in the same way that this is. You know, down to the cast, you've got the two of the Wilson brothers are in there. I, I didn't see Owen anywhere on screen, but obviously he wrote it and with Wes Owen, Anderson. Uh, Owen Wilson is, he plays like the photo, or he's like the photo oh, right. of the ex, like Rosemary's ex-husband, oh, right. dead, mm. or the dead husband, but he's uncredited. Yes, And um, there's obviously a lot of Wes Anderson in the, the writing of the film, and I, I think the character of Max seems to pretty much be, if not Wes Anderson, kind of what he wishes he were like himself but with a bit of confidence is kind of the impression i get that like him as an extrovert i I, well that was interesting because when i was watching this the impression i was getting was like imagine if you like now were taken back to being 15 again and like you just have that yeah certain confidence but also a kind of like well i'm not just going to do what you tell me what because you're a teacher that like what who cares and i think (laughs) yeah there was an element to that and then of course the, the song over the end credits is i wish i wish i knew when i what i know now when i was younger yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that is like, that came across <laughs> just from watching it. And as much as I don't think I would have been as much of a knob as Max Fisher is, <laughs> I would be such a different person, like going back now into that sort of situation. And that, mm. that's what I feel like this film is tapping into. But also the whole, the, the, the character journey is a sort of emotional, it's a coming of age story, really, of him learning. Yeah about you know the emo- the the complex emotions of those adolescent years and a soul soul will know this but i i i do like a film where nothing really happens <laughs> and it's just kind of a character journey but this film only just gets away from for it and and i i think i'm sort of on a similar wavelength with you soul here like i do like wes anderson films but i've never loved one of them uh, it's n- one i haven't quite i haven't had that one mm. that's just like chimed with me on an emotional level and also the more you watch the more you go it's like all oh, right yeah okay it's the same it's the same film again it's another another Wes Anderson film and I think this is probably the closest I'm going to get to having an emotional connection with it mm. that kind of awkward adolescent phase we all went through you know 
yeah, I've never really clicked with Wes Anderson in the way where I'm like, I love this so much, it's my favourite thing. I just kind of think like, yeah, this is cool. I don't know, th- this one really did, it felt like one of his best films to me. Because I think, cause like I say, it was it was all there, what he does, but it just was, it was still fresh. It wasn't kind of like, okay, I've seen this kind of father-son dynamic from Wes Anderson many, many times at <laughs> yeah. this point. You know, I love The Royal Tenenbaums and I think it's, a really amazing and mm. unique movie, but I love uh, this movie because it just feels so so genuine, and it just feels you know it's not. It, of course, his style comes through, and he's still a uh, part of that. Is that he's still in the process of like figuring out his style? Yeah. But I loved. Uh, it just felt very much just like a filmmaker, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, rather than someone who's just like, all right, time to make my movie. That <laughs> you know, it, it felt very very raw. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do wish. I wish that I had been in a position in nineteen ninety seven to to have been watching this mm. sort of as it went out and it was like because I think I would have been really excited. Like, wow, this is very interesting, an exciting new young filmmaker. But yeah, like twenty years later, it's like oh, it's a Wes Anderson film, isn't it? You're like, I know what to expect. Yeah. Um. Another career who I think is similar, but to an even larger extent um, than Wes Anderson is Tim Burton. Um, yeah. I think that Tim Burton's earliest earliest movies, especially mm. like Pee Wee and Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> they're so fun and they're so cheap. And if you listen to the commentary, you know, of like Pee Wee and Edward Scissorhands, they'll talk about how they used duct tape for certain (laughs) mechanical items or how they were using the same house would double as like five different things and everyone was just kind of coming together to make this project come to life and Mm. in some ways there's almost a curse to having all the money at your disposal and having all of the things that you could ever dream of because there is something really cool about kind of this um, early stage of filmmaking where people are having to get scrappy and, and creative and and the love for what they are making really is uh, mm. first and foremost. We we call it George Lucasing, I think, on this podcast, where you sort <laughs> of make something that you know is putting your vision out there, but then you become so successful that no one dares look over your shoulder and, and give you notes anymore, and perhaps it's yeah. to your detriment <laughs> of it. And that's, that's not a great to, point. Yeah, and it's, and it's not to say that you know, like I say, I still like Wes Anderson's films now. I, I'm not saying that he's you know, I, I, Tim Burton was, or arguably still is, one of my favourite, favourite filmmakers, but his last few films have been very questionable, I think. Um, whereas, you know, Wes Anderson, I kind of know what I'm getting. It's just it doesn't have that same spark that I think I got here. But I do wonder if that's because so much of this seems to be almost Owen Wilson's kind of voice as well. Um, because obviously he he co-wrote the film, I believe, and I was just reading up before how apparently he went to a, a really highfalutin uh, school, uh, all all the Wilson brothers did. Apparently Luke Wilson's the only one who graduated. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I just sort of thought like, okay, so there's obviously a lot of his personal experiences of going to this school and, you know, not quite clicking with it here and... and yeah, I, I just wondered if it was that mixture of both of their voices being very sincere, I guess. Yeah, 
And Owen Wilson is also just extremely funny. Like yeah. one of the reasons Rushmore is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, although it really is a close tie between Royal Tenenbaums because I, I really think that's a work of genius. But mm. um, again, keep in mind, I, I saw that movie when I was 13. So these movies <laughs> are really formative for me. And I also was watching them with, with Royal Tenenbaums in particular. I was watching it in the midst of like Paris Hilton and like the VH1 America very like everyone was plastic and blonde and hated intellect and George Bush was president. And so a lot of it is like, it's such an amazing departure from what the world looks like in this very flashy, gaudy, negative, awful place. Like to, to see a movie where people are speaking um, in a way that it's clear that their intellect and what they read is important to the point where it became snob snobbish. Like it was still very comforting and very... A, a nice break from from the real world, I think. And and it is important, I think, um, and I'm sure this comes up all the time on the podcast, like when kind of reviewing a movie of just kind of thinking about like, well, what was the climate at the time and, and why did this mm. matter to people? Like if I had known other kids who liked Rushmore, I would have had my mind blown. Like I definitely didn't <laughs> know anyone else who had even heard of it. Mm. I said like, I just saw Rushmore. And they're like, yeah, Rush, Rush Hour is great. <laughs> like, All right. <laughs> And it is. It's just very different. <laughs> There's, there is something quite, uh, especially when you're younger, something really cool about finding something that chimes with you and nobody else knows about it. It's, usually oh, yeah. it's music, isn't it? Some unknown band yeah. That, yeah. You, that you get introduced to. And there is, there's always something like that. And I think for me, that is, that was, that came through film as well. And I got a lot mm. of influence. My brother's about 10 years older than me. So I had all these influences from him that were 10 years kind of out of my generation. And so none of my friends knew about them. And so that's 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 why I have sort of slightly outdated tastes. <laughs> like my tastes. I relate to you. Uh, Alan, I relate to you. My, my sisters, um, I have half sisters who are like 10 and 13 years older yeah. than I am. And then I have a very young dad. So my dad um, is 20 years older than I am. Oh. And so my, my mom is uh, 35 years older than I am. And so I have all of the different kind of... <laughs> tastes happening <laughs> at that time too and um very briefly um just because i think it might set up the context a little bit i was raised to be a snob through and through <laughs> and my parents my dad specifically raised me in a way that was like i'm allowed to watch anything in terms of maturity level we would just have to have a conversation about what it was that we were watching but i'm not allowed to watch things that he considered not well written. And so <laughs> I basically, um, I was, you know, I grew up, my favorite band, of course, was the Beatles and, you know, all the, you know, 60s and British invasion stuff that's in this movie, I had already always loved. Like, I love the kinks and I love yeah. um, that era of music. Um, but I was not allowed to listen to, like, Britney Spears or Sync <laughs> and Backstreet Boys because my dad just thought it was bad music. And so, yeah. well, of course, I now like that I'm an adult, I kind of like it. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Now you've rebelled. My mum tried to do the same thing with me to an extent where she certainly would try and show me, you know, worthy films and things that might educate me on a certain level, but it, it never quite yeah. worked. I, I remember when she showed me <laughs> Schindler's List was on TV and I was about seven or eight years old and she was like, oh, we're you're going to watch Schindler's List. It's it's incredibly important that you, you see, you know, what happened and... And, you know, we, we got to, like, the third person being shot in the head. And she was like, no, no, it's, it's too, it's horrible. And just Garfield on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. a little so, young. So, 
yeah, it was it was the right idea, but yeah, and, and at that age, I was far too young to appreciate the film anyway. You know, I, I I didn't watch it again until last year or the year before, and you know, I loved it. But when I was yeah seven or eight, I was like, what's this black and white thing? <laughs> also, what is war? <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of stuff to unpack there as a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think I think that's a it's a good approach, except that what if your child rebels against that because that that's very common isn't it and then suddenly you've got a kid who who's going out of their way to listen to um well you know there's worse music than britney spears i, I don't mind a bit of britney oh, sure. here there, but uh yeah you know free, free britney <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um can i can i give you a, an impromptu wes anderson little quiz here oh sure. yeah yeah let's test do it. your knowledge Ali. so i was just looking at wes anderson earlier and it He's been Oscar nominated seven times, wow! Uh, but never won. But uh, can you tell mm. me what he's been nominated for? He's been nominated in four different categories. Gosh, I've never really known what the different categories <laughs> often are. Um, I, I assume that screenplay would would be at least yeah. one of them. Yeah, he's got three for original screenplay. That's Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, and then since he's a director, I would imagine that he would be <laughs> nominated uh, for directing. Yeah. And I feel like Budapest would have gotten some type of award. Yes. Budapest was up for Best Picture, was it? So I guess, did he produce that? Was He, he was a the... main producer, so he's nominated yeah. as Best Picture, but also Best Director for Grand Budapest Hotel. And Oh, oh, animated film. Best for, animated uh, feature. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Fox, yeah. Yes. For, for, and Isle and of Dogs, Isle of Dogs yes. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well done. You passed okay. the test. <laughs> I passed. I'm a real fan. Um, <laughs> you know, um, in ninth grade, so first year of high school for us, we had to do an assignment of like, who is your hero? Um, and I put I put Wes Anderson as my hero, which was a very bizarre choice because most people were picking, you know, like actual <laughs> heroic people, and I had this very Wes Anderson looking presentation with the very Wes Andersony colors and. The only movies that had come out at that point were up until um, Royal Tenenbaum. So I felt like I was kind of uh, smart for even being able to pick up on the different color uh, motifs that he would have in each of his <laughs> movies and whatnot. Um, but that's the thing, like, you know, when you're so stylized, it's almost too bad because unless you are completely reinventing yourself, uh, something that you love uh, then becomes predictable and, and seen as like, oh, it's just him doing his thing. Mm. And and that's, it's a little sad in a way, because it's like, Ramon's never changed, <laughs> you know, like, um, a lot of things, you know, it's just, they're just doing their style. And even I can sometimes think a little bit like, oh, of course, that's Wes Anderson. But, but because I love that style, I don't, tend to get too annoyed by it and i actually really like when people do parodies of him uh yeah. i it's pretty easy to do so <laughs> I, I i quite like it but yeah um to the point of this movie um and what makes it special i i really do think that owen wilson did play a big part in it uh some of the some of the lines and, and bill murray did too because he's uh, such yeah. a funny imp- uh, improvisational person a lot of improv is what i'm trying to say yeah. um he's just so naturally funny and just brought a depth and uh and jason schwarzman this is his like breakout role even though he's a coppola um which i actually know uh i know of a few people who auditioned for max because um it was a huge casting call oh, really? and 
I know a lot of people who hate Rushmore um, because <laughs> they auditioned and they didn't get it. And everyone was so mad, um, as you could imagine. Mm. So many young actors were going out to this part and to find out that it went to a Coppola. It was the, <laughs> it felt like the most like insidery kind of well, bullshit. I, I must, but he's so good. Yeah, I must admit, I was thinking mm. that. I looked him up earlier because I was like, yeah, well, where did Jason Schwartzman like come from before this? And this is mm. his first credit, at least on IMDb. And... And obviously he's yeah. only 17 or whatever, so it's yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, I did sort of assume, well, you know, he's in that world. They probably all went to school together or something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> like they're all just living Hollywood somewhere. But obviously that's not the case with the Wilsons. I, I did find it really odd, though, because I was sort of thinking of, you know, on this podcast, we, we, at least in theory, try and kind of pitch sequel ideas at times and, you know, what, what you might do for a follow-up film. And, and I was... I was thinking I'm going to be really smart because I thought Jason Schwartzman, he's in all of Wes Anderson's films, isn't he? Is there a way I could just kind of, you know, reposition all the other Wes Anderson's uh, films as being the same character with a few tweaks and and do something like that? But I I didn't realise he he didn't work with Wes Anderson again until the Darjeeling Limited. There's this big kind of gap where they, I think, kind of did their own thing. But certainly from, from Darjeeling Limited onwards, he's been in pretty yes. much every one, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. There's this curious gap in their filmographies. And I, I, I couldn't find anything to suggest they fell out or anything like that. I think they just maybe went to do their own do thing for things. a bit. In terms of a sequel, that that is a sequel that if I heard that that was going to happen, I would immediately be trying to <laughs> either be a part of it or just see it opening night. I just love the idea because the character... Is so of Max is is so fun and and I really could see that being like an HBO mm. series, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like this. It, it feels very yeah. now um, in a lot of ways of just this kind of um, mm. uh, precocious uh, mm-hmm. fifteen year. I mean, you look at shows like Riverdale and other things that have <laughs> the, you know the same type of ideas, but with um, with a lot less nuance and humor. <laughs> I can't tell if Max would be someone who got way worse. Um, with age, or if Max would be someone who became like a really mature type of young man, um, I, I really could see I it either with way. That. Yeah, I, I was really thinking, <laughs> you know, because because the thing to do would be yeah, pick up with him now, see where he's gone in life, and and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of room to actually do that if they ever did feel so inclined, but. I just couldn't figure it out at all. I, I couldn't figure out, would he go one way, would he go this way? Um, and I mean, it, for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen Rushmore, broadly speaking, it's about this... He's an odd character, because I, I was going to call him an overachiever there, but he isn't an overachiever, and that's kind of <laughs> the point. He's he's very, clearly quite intelligent, but applies it in... He's at this very, <laughs> very uh, posh school, and he is really into the extracurricular side of things, but he's not very good in his studies, and he's a playwright, and that seems to be why they put up with him to the extent they do, because he writes these brilliant plays that, you know, get put on and everyone likes. And then the film becomes a kind of love triangle of sorts, where he is, or believes he's in love with his... Um, one of his teachers at the school. Is she a teacher there? She is, isn't she? Yeah. She teaches uh, first grade, so not his teacher, but a teacher. Right. And um, Bill Murray is, you know, also having an affair with this uh, this teacher at the school and is in love with her, and uh, she seems to be in love with him. And so it's a whole sort of messy love... Is that even a love triangle or like a love 
tetrahedron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I definitely got the the impression from this character. I think as it went along, you, you do like him at first, but I, I started yeah. to dislike him more and more because <laughs> he is like he's not achieving academically at the level he he's sort of expected to be at this particular school. And everything he does, all the extracurricular activity, it's not because that's how he channels his energy. It's a decoy technique. It's just, Mm. it's him going, oh, don't look at my grades. Look at this that I'm doing. Look at this. And it allows him to be the boss. If he sets up a a society, he's the founding member. He can be, he can be in charge, which is what he really likes. And to some extent that this film is him channeling that into a way that is slightly more productive and all I could see is him, like, he's going to be a politician. He's, this guy's going to go into <laughs> politics. But not just that, he's going yeah. to be the politician who is like, we need to get rid of real politicians and have normal people like me. Oh, I went to, don't, don't, th- uh, yeah, my dad's a barber. Don't mention that I went to a posh school. <laughs> yeah, there is a world in which he's a taxi driver type of <laughs> menace to society, just a terrifying everything. We need to destroy it all from the inside. <laughs> so I, I think I he'd that. either he'd either rise up the ranks and become, you know, a, a, an awful CEO of, of a company that's just a nightmare to work for, or he'd, you know, wouldn't have the same level of success, and he'd probably be a kind of CEO of his own little one man company, but trying to scrape things together and and make a big. But yeah, he'd be the um, show of himself. Yeah, he, he's the sort of guy who like it'd be yeah the producer of a film company or a theater company or something, and he's really yeah. good at going into someone's office and going, "Hey, look, here's what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Hey, do you want to give us some money?" Really good at getting <laughs> money, but then when it comes to actually being creative, he delivers this script, and everyone's like, "This script is crap." Like, what do we say anything? <laughs> because the, the extracts yeah. we see of his plays are kind of mm. deliberately cliched and, and comedic. I never knew how to feel about that because I got the impression that the film was trying to say these are great plays, but they are obviously funny because they're so ridiculously over the top to be watching, you know, high school kids um, performing, you know, Vietnam drama on the stage with, with pyrotechnics and everything. I never got the impression that the plays are particularly good. I think it really is more capturing Mm. the accuracy of that, like these little prodigy attitude children actually (laughs) aren't even all that good i don't think he's supposed to be bad i think it's supposed to just be well one it's not really entertaining to watch someone put on a good play because art is art is subjective anyway for example i was watching um dead poet society and Mm. um there's a scene in which you see uh the main character who's always been afraid to act uh act and he's in a play and you're watching it and like i can't tell if it's good but everyone in the audience (laughs) is saying like oh he's so good this is really good acting and so unless they had been telling me that it's good Mm. acting i never would have known and in fact i would have assumed it was bad (laughs) we we did that with was it citizen kane no, we had this problem with soul, and in fact, anything that involves jazz music. Oh, jazz. We can't tell the difference between good jazz oh, and funny. bad jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same with La La Land. It's like... Yeah, we had it with um, Citizen Kane when we did that recently with the. Um, is she an opera singer? His, oh, yes, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. His, um, his wife that he's kind of training up, and it was like, is that. Is that bad or? But then everyone starts saying, "Oh, she's terrible." And it's like, okay, I wouldn't have known. Okay, it just make fine me sure. <laughs> yeah. As a uh, as a musician myself, I always have the hardest time when when what I am seeing and listening to with my own ears 
is bad and they are <laughs> telling me it's good <laughs> um, but you have you know plot wise you just have to go with it you have to suspend belief and say all right she's good um but something i find funny about the plays that are in both rushmore and royal tenenbaums because both feature Mm. um you know margaret tenenbaum you have a flashback of her doing her little performances Mm. they're just what a kid would come up with like what a 15 year old (laughs) like you know the fact that a 15 year old is doing a vietnam war play is so funny because what the hell does he know about it it's just it's so funny to me it's very precocious and it really speaks to that kind of um kid who who just Mm. thinks that they know everything and and just feels like such an adult trapped in this weird time i mean i relate to max so much i i've i've never seen a character more like myself than max (laughs) and is that something you want to admit to I get away with it because I'm a woman. Um, <laughs> I genuinely think that's the only difference. But no, um, the, the difference is that I have uh, some awareness of my flaws, whereas Max really revels in them. Um, but I I really think that it's just such a little subgenre of these little actors who are so mm. weird and, and kind of hated, but also, <laughs> but also beloved in their own weird way. But... What I love about the movie is that you get him in this setting, this weird, unique setting that most people have never experienced of this private school. And then he gets expelled and he has to kind of make do in this public school setting. And Mm. I went to public school. I certainly relate to what it's like to kind of feel suddenly like, oh, wow. I just don't even know what to do if no one's giving me like awards. (laughs) I'm just a person. (laughs) And uh, he actually, in a way, he he grows at the end of the movie because he ends up finding this kind of age-appropriate match with a student, this this Margaret character. I thought that that was like a, a little moment of growth that I loved, which gave me some hope for his future that he might not become a politician. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that, that's it. Yeah, so at, at one point in the film sort of the second act really is him getting expelled from the posh school and he has to go to the the crappy Mm. public school and the obvious thing to do there would be to have him as the fish out of water and he really struggles and he doesn't really (laughs) he finds his because he has this confidence he just finds his place straight away and sure there's people who don't (laughs) like him but he just finds the people who will do what he says (laughs) and he gets on with it well i think that one of the things i like so much about the movie is um it's kind of this idea that we're touching upon, which is like when you are 15 and when you are making these pieces of art mm. that adults um, can recognize is <laughs> kind of bad. You believe in it full heartedly and you think you're so smart mm. and you think you're so wise. Mm. And and to be fair, you're the smartest you've ever been in your life. <laughs> you have never been smarter than you are right now. So why wouldn't you think that you're a genius? And so... I guess that full-fledged, I saved Latin, what did you do? Um, I wrote a hit play is the most cringe, the most cringy and relatable thing I've ever seen. (laughs) This idea of like, I am God's gift is like such a relatable thing that, but for me, I have a lot of stuff that's online. Um, So there was a thing called Yahoo Answers, which was kind of before there were a lot of other forums like reddit um people would just ask questions and then the community (laughs) would answer and the best answer quote unquote uh would get points and it was this weird point system that meant nothing much like reddit and so i was at the time 15 going through my parents divorce like having a very lonely um summer and but just spent all my time online answering questions and just (laughs) most of the questions were like 
people asking Beatles trivia. And I guess even though it was online, we were all doing the honor code of like, I'm not cheating and like Googling this. And I look at the questions I would ask, uh, some of which were like, who wants to be friends with me? And it would just be a little kind of ad- advert for me of just like, I like old music. I'm an old soul. I'm very mature for my age. I'm, um, I've got fantastic taste, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's just the most sincere and, and for that reason, embarrassing thing in the world. Um, and it would be so easy for me to delete it because there are buttons to do that. <laughs> but at the same time, I kind of like having this little ode to my 15-year-old self by mm. keeping it up to kind of remind myself like, because if I didn't have it, it would be really easy for me to think of myself as being cooler than I was. <laughs> but when I when I read it, I'm like, oh my God, I was in so much pain and agony and I was just such a helpless little person and um even if i read emails from a year ago i'm like i can't believe i can't believe how horribly i wrote this email um and i to be fair i do think that's better than than reading something from the past and thinking i've never been as funny and i will never be as funny like it i'd rather grow (laughs) certainly (laughs) but um but yeah i just have such a nostalgia for this um for these types of movies and i think Mm. that even maybe for someone who hasn't grown up with the movies that you kind of get the sense of nostalgia that is injected into them from Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson's own lives. Like you're mm. getting that sense of like, gosh, being 15 was so weird. And uh, <laughs> and I just love that. And really quickly, I want to say a quote that Murray, Bill Murray had. Something that he said about the script was that he thought it, th- thought it was about this. He said, the struggle to retain civility and kindness in the face of extraordinary pain um, and I felt that all my life. And I do think that that is one of the things that's so cool about the movie of like, you get this weird, like fight between Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman's characters, even though one of them is an adult and one of them is a child. But they are just making each other so mad and they're having to find a way to like somehow not enact all of their rage and fury, which is a very hard thing to do in life. <laughs> and I think that the movie is very fun for that reason. The relationship between Bloom and uh, Max Fisher is is like 15 year olds if anything it's that the bill murray character is quite immature and it, it <laughs> is in that way Very. that when you're a teenager you would fall out over like because you both fancied the same girl and then you would hate each other for three months and then you'd be like oh we mates again yeah all right <laughs> or you know especially with boys you might have a bit of a fight that gets broken up after like two punches are thrown and then it's like oh yeah we're friends again now it's like honor is served like <laughs> we can be friends i think that is yeah. the dynamic at work here it's just because obviously one of them is bill murray it just seems a bit more quirky (laughs) (laughs) it's a great point i've at the time when moonrise kingdom came out i was so excited for it because i was such a huge wes anderson fan and i really did not like that movie which i think is shocking to a lot of people who know me and my my takeaway was that i like wes anderson movies that are about immature adults not really mature children (laughs) um and i just felt really uneasy with these Mm. like prepubescent children being adults i didn't like it 
but I love Max because he's in that weird in-between area where it's mm. kind of like, I mean, legally he is a child, but in terms of like kind of that little in-between area, I feel like it's so, almost every Wes Anderson character aside from Moonrise Kingdom feels like they're 15 to mm. me in terms of their emotional maturity. Well, that that's the secret to it really, isn't it? Because he, cer- he certainly thinks he's mature. He's like, yeah, like you are when you're a teenager, yeah. like, I know everything. But he's really not, and he's particularly emotionally immature, which is what this film explores yes. <laughs> and discovering love and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I love the I love the scene with uh, Luke Wilson. Um, oh, are they? Uh, That's where... my favorite line of any movie. <laughs> I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Yeah, where he where he has a drink and just you know gets very rude and then tries to apologise for his drink in another scene <laughs> later on, but it's uh, for the fact that he had a drink and kind of you know lost his temper. But it, it's all so emotionally immature, he, like you say. Yeah. yeah, but he thinks maturity is writing a, a beautifully penned letter apologising <laughs> for your behaviour. That's maturity. Look how mature I am yeah. to be able to acknowledge that I've been wrong. But the, but on that on that same issue, I think Olivia Williams as uh, Miss Cross who is the sort of love interest for the, the love triangle, is much more emotionally mature and has obviously suffered for her emotions. And having that heart between the two of them is really good because it really... It, she she kind of knows how to handle them, uh, but then she's still making mistakes, as we all do all the time. No matter how old you get, you still mess up relationships and you still kind of ruin things. Mm. I, and I thought, not just a great character, but a really great performance. I think Olivia Williams is my favourite thing in the Incredible. film. Incredible. Because I think with, with Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray, there's a sort of, there is a sort of layer of irony to their acting, which works for the style. Mm-hmm. But Olivia Williams is sort of straight down the line. This is some top-notch acting. Well, talking about the acting, um, someone we haven't mentioned yet, Brian Cox is, is also in this film. Oh, yeah, I love a bit of Brian um, Cox. Who's yeah? I've I've really really grown to love Brian. But Cox, this was uh, an era. There was about but, yeah. six or seven years when he was just in everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then of course, as I say, Luke Wilson, who, who's excellent in this. Again, I've really grown to appreciate Luke Wilson. Like when I was younger, he always seemed like the 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 Wilson you get when you can't afford Owen Wilson, the kind of bargain bin discount. One. But, <laughs> but yeah, but now I he's phenomenal. I really like Luke Wilson. I might. I don't know which Wilson's my favourite. I, I, I like them all. The good thing is you don't have to choose. Exactly. <laughs> there was yeah. definitely another, there was a real discount Wilson in this film playing like a, a PE teacher <laughs> or something. You could tell he was a Wilson, but I don't... Oh, he was right. like that spare Andrew Wilson, thing, yeah. We, we spoke about him in... Um, oh, God, what was it? We, we have spoken about him before on this podcast because I was amazed to learn there was a third Wilson and I, I didn't know about it until he popped up in another film we did it. Was it Charlie's Angels? Oh, I can't remember. I think it was Charlie's Angels. Well, just while we talk about actors, Seymour Cassell as his dad, I think is really great. Very simple performance, but right. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, but also that yeah. relationship, the relationship with his dad, the fact that his mother's dead. I think that is played really nicely as well, because that, is, that again, you could easily fall into a, a stereotype of this, this kid who's kind of overachieving for his background, as in he's gone to the posh school and everything. But he still really respects his dad. And he, even though, like, you know, in certain circles, he might lie about what he does, but he respects that mm. his dad is doing a good job and... I liked the bit where he went back and just sort of like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna work with my dad. It, it didn't feel like, mm-hmm. well, I've failed, so I'm going into the family business. It felt like, it, it felt like, well, I've failed at this, so I'm going to do, I'm going to try this now. And, it, and this is a perfectly respectable thing to do as well. And then the dad just seems to be the perfect 
encouragement without pushing, just like, hey, do your best. Yeah. Are you sure yeah. this is what you want to be doing? All that. I really like that. Really kind of that beautiful father yeah. figure in that. Very modest and humble. Mm. Yeah. Um, briefly, just in, to talk a little bit more about Rosemary, the teacher. I really love that casting choice, too, because mm. the movie would have been so different if, and granted, she's stunning. But she's not what you think of when you think of, okay, 15-year-old boy is in love with a teacher. Mm, I yeah. I would picture Van Halen hot for teacher type of like super, <laughs> you know, bombastic, uh, just bombshell looks. And it's much more than sex. Like it's really like, it, and in some ways it could be missing a mother figure. It could be a lot of things. But I love that she's this just very classy and mature intellectual um, who makes him feel smarter. Um, and I think yeah. that's what I connect you so much to. I hadn't really thought of it as that kind of, oh, she, she, you wouldn't think at all like that. But it's because mm. in the film, he he finds her through this intellectual route of like this book, yeah. this sort of shared interest. And so it's not yeah. like he sees her across the room. He's like, oh, my God, it, it was it was <laughs> never that. So, yeah, never. yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it never even occurred to me, really. But you're right. Yeah, it, it's, it could. It's it, Again, it's something that you could kind of the obvious route would be totally different. And I guess that's mm. yeah. Wes Anderson, isn't it? It's not really the obvious route. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and then the last thing I'll say is just that even though I could see a, a sequel going any direction with Max, that my hope, if I ever read about a sequel, is that Max is the good guy that I think mm. he could become. Because I think that people who have these types of childhoods, they really learn a lot. I certainly have. And I think that it's a more optimistic world if Max Fisher gets to end up being a, a pretty good guy in the end. So <laughs> I'll leave, leave on a bit of optimism. <laughs> I think that's a fair point, though, because... You know, the the main thing I kind of took from this film is that it's just really nice. <laughs> and it, it is. It would be, it's comforting. It would, feel, it would feel weird if it wasn't nice if they did make a sequel. And and also, you know, I, I think the one missing ingredient from Max really is maturity. Like, that's why he's, you know, a bit unlikable in places, because he's not matured. But obviously maturity comes with age, so... Yeah, he's, he has not matured yet. <laughs> yeah. He's still maturing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the perfect uh, the perfect circle for him would be if he got to teach at, at Rushmore, mm. since he wants to be there forever. <laughs> so that would be a cute yeah. little a cute little thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we like to kind of put a number on it and, and rate our films out of ten on here. So um, should we should we move into that bit, Alan? Sure. Is there anything else you want to say before we do? No. Uh, nothing specific. No. Yeah, I'll let you start then, Alan. What what would you give it out of ten? Don't hold back. You don't have to be nice for me just because it's one of my favorites. You know, this has been the interesting thing. Like uh, Often when we have guests, um, we say, hey, choose a film. And they always pick a film they really like, obviously. <laughs> so then when you don't like it, it's a bit like... <laughs> <laughs> but like I said earlier, I, I do like this film. I, I like Wes Anderson films in general. And I like that he's out there doing his thing. But it just never quite chimes with me. And I feel like this one should more than the others. I think I should. I, I I do relate to this character on some levels, but then it just sort of falls down for me. And so I can't quite get that emotional hook into it. But like that, I've settled in uh, a nice seven out of ten for that because I, I, there's still so much to enjoy. And I do like the little quirky bits of humor and all that. Okay, well, I, I'm basically the same as you, Alan. I, I actually did really enjoy it. And, you know... Yeah, it just didn't quite connect with me on that personal level. But when I was watching it, I did think if I'd seen this at the right point in my life, I think I it really would. So I completely understand why you know yeah. someone would like. I wish it a I'd lot seen this me. when I was sixteen. But, yeah, yeah, 
I wish that for both of you. (laughs) (laughs) But I I, I still enjoyed it. Um, So I'm also giving it a a 7 out of 10. You know, good. (laughs) Good, solid (laughs) 7. I think Max would be happy to get a 7 out of 10 on a paper. So I think that's That's fair. It's a solid C. And and similarly, (laughs) Ali, don't hold back with your rating. You know, go as high as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in terms... It's funny because I really do have so many different types of favorite movies. For example... Some of my favorite movies to watch of all time are the ones that I also would probably give an eight, and that includes mm. this. I would give this an eight, a very solid. I love this movie, um, but it's not. It's not in my like of all the films that exist. It's mm. the best. But yeah. in terms of favorites, I I love it so much. So it gives a very solid eight, if not an eight point five. Yeah. But for example, like Princess Bride and like Wayne's World and Spinal Tap and <laughs> movies like that that just make me feel good and are com- comforting, like. Those are the movies I love to put on, like anything by Rob Reiner, really. I just yeah. love so much and it's so fun. But for example, like movies that are on the Criterion channel <laughs> that I'm watching recently end up scoring a little higher, but solid, I would say 8.5 for me. Do you think Do you think Wes Anderson will ever get like uh, drawn into making a, a Bond film or the next Avengers <laughs> film or something like that, but just bring his own style? The idea of a Marvel. You know, uh, had it not been for WandaVision, I would immediately say no, but the, <laughs> what they did with WandaVision was so unique that there's always room for um, for some branching out in terms of a major brand. It would be very cool to see what his take on, mm. um, on a big thing would be. Because again, like I do see a lot of similarities in Tim Burton's worlds like the idea of tim burton doing batman at the time was like kind of like whoa really and michael keaton like are you kidding me (laughs) mr mom is gonna be batman you just don't know until it happens um Mm. that's one of the things i like most about watching the trajectory of people whose work i enjoy kind of going along with the weird turns and yeah maybe maybe wes anderson's getting tired of his own style and and might pull something uh out of his hat but we'll see (laughs) He has spoken about doing a Bond film before, right? I don't know if there were ever any conversations about it actually happening, but he's he basically said my Bond film would be such a deconstruction of what James Bond is that they would never allow it. He, he <laughs> said, you know, it would open with Bond just saying to Money Penny, "Look, what are we doing? Let's just go out <laughs> for dinner," and him quitting so the funny. job or something. And so I would love to watch that. I mean, yeah, I, I was... would. I I prefer that to any actual bond movie i think i've ever seen but yeah okay yeah so yeah thanks so much ali um is is there anything you'd like to plug no just follow me um at ali gertz uh on twitter or go to my website aligertz.com for any updates and such so far it's it's mostly just enjoying my little quarantine Also, um, listen to my podcast, uh, Round Springfield. We have a couple mm. of episodes. I'm not sure when this drops, but a couple of episodes coming out um, or that will have just come out. And the final episode we're doing is with Matt Groening, and it's a two-part episode. Oh, and it wow. was really special. Hard to keep back the emotions of getting to talk to the guy himself. So yeah. very fun episode, and I, I really look forward to when that drops. So yeah. That is something, because Matt Groening is famously very very coy and doesn't do many interviews he we're the first, keeps to himself yeah first podcast he's ever done we're really excited wow. about it cool so yeah thanks for listening everyone and come back for for next i'm i'm so used to saying next week but it's uh next fortnight come back for next episode <laughs> <laughs>